This morning, congregation, in your Bible, we would turn your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 12. From Deuteronomy 12, we'll begin with verses 1 through 14, and then also verses 28 through 32. In your pew Bible, you can find that on page 216. After we read from the inspired Word of God, we'll also turn our attention to our Belgic Confessions 7th article. And you can find that in your Forms and Prayers book, also in the pew rack on page 157. We read this morning from the inspired Word of God, beginning at verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 12. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess served their gods, on the high mountains, and on the hills, and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses, out of all your tribes, to put His name for His dwelling place. And there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you, but when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and He gives you rest from all your enemies round about, so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make His name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses. In one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. We'll drop down then to verse 28, uh, where we read, Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise." 
you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which He hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Thus far this morning, our reading from the Word of God, we then turn to the Belgic Confession, Article 7, that is given a title, The Sufficiency of Scripture. And it states that we believe that this Holy Scripture contains the will of God completely, and that everything one must believe to be saved is sufficiently taught in it. For since the entire manner of service which God requires of us is described in it at great length, no one, even an apostle or an angel from heaven, as Paul says, ought to teach other than what the Holy Scriptures have already taught us. For since it is forbidden to add to or subtract from the Word of God, this plainly demonstrates that the teaching is perfect and complete in all respects. Therefore, we must not consider human writings, no matter how holy their authors may have been, equal to the divine writings. Nor may we put custom, nor the majority, nor age, nor the passage of time, or persons, nor councils, decrees, or official decisions above the truth of God. For truth is above everything else. For all human beings are liars by nature, and more vain than vanity itself. Therefore, we reject with all our hearts everything that does not agree with this infallible rule, as we are taught to do so by the apostles, when they say, test the spirits to see if they are of God. And also, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the question is asked in Scripture, uh, in a psalm that we often sing, how shall a young man direct his way? And of course, that question does not only apply to young men, but also to young women, and by extension to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and to every single individual who makes up the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the question that we are faced with. How shall we direct our way? That is, how, how do we come to know what truth is and what truth is as it bears upon the practical realities of our life. As the question has famously been put by a late author, how shall we then live? If I were to ask you that question as we met this morning here in the sanctuary of God's house, how shall we then live? What would your answer be? I ask this not only for those who are Older, but also perhaps especially for those of you who are younger, to our young people, to those who are coming into the ages of maturity, the ages of uh, a certain independency, those who are ready to chart their courses through this life, whether it be through higher education or whether it be through the entering of the vocational workplace. How are you going to direct your way? How are you going to live your life? And even more fundamentally, to what will you go? As you seek the answer to that question, how shall I live my days? What shall I do in life? And you can apply that also to worship. How shall I worship God? I, I trust and I hope and I pray that each and every one of us have an earnest commitment within our heart that we and our children, we will serve our God. We will worship our God. But how? 
What will we do when we come to worship? Congregation, all of these questions are answered with the sufficiency of Scripture. The Word of God is not only able to make us wise unto salvation, but it also reveals all that we need to know for our practical lives as we worship our Lord and our God. I want to remind you that we as a church, we can and we ought to have a sense of absolute confidence in the reliability and the authority of the Word of God. We have, we have sung from this hymn, words of power that can never fail. Uh, the Word of God is attacked by many in various ways. And so another question we could ask ourselves is, as, as we see the Word of God attacked, whether it be in its moral implications or in its ethical teachings or in the clear revelation that there is only one God and only one way of salvation through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see those truths attacked not only by our fallen culture, but also by apostate churches. Do we still have this sense of absolute confidence that this Word can never fail? Because it is the very Word of God. So that the truth will indeed prevail over unbelief. This morning we come to what you might say is the conclusion of this section of the Belgian Confession that deals with Scripture. And we just remind you that our forefathers saw the wisdom in laying a sure and a solid foundation for our faith by emphasizing through numerous articles the character of God's special self-revelation. And so we've had numbers of articles dealing with Scripture. We come to the last article dealing with God's special self-revelation this morning. And we want to consider this truth concerning the Word of God underneath this theme, our belief concerning the perfections of the Holy Scripture. Now, that's kind of a technical word, perfections. You could also use a synonym, characteristics. Uh, what are some truths that apply to the Word of God? What are its characteristics? What are its perfections? And we'll notice uh, simply three of them this morning. First of all, the perfection of a complete revelation. In the Bible, in the Word of God, we have a complete revelation. Then secondly, we'll also notice the perfection of a true revelation. So in our Bible, we not only have a complete revelation, we also have one that is true. And then thirdly, the perfection of an accepted revelation. So a complete revelation, a true revelation, and an accepted revelation. So first of all, we consider this morning, and we use the Word of God itself to understand these perfections. Because remember, we, we say that Scripture bears testimony to itself. It attests to its own perfections. So when we ask ourselves, what are the Scriptures? We don't go anywhere else other than the Word of God itself. We don't go to the, the thoughts of men. We don't primarily go to the writings even of very holy men. But we go to the Word of God itself and we let the Word of God speak. Because it speaks clearly concerning the reality that here we have a complete revelation from God concerning the way of salvation and concerning the life of worship. So in the Holy Bible, it is the 66 books that are given by inspiration and that are therefore infallible and inerrant. We have a complete revelation of the way of salvation. Jesus says as much in John 20, verse 31. 
these, the works of Jesus Christ, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. John mentions in that passage that Jesus did many other things in His earthly ministry that are not included in the accounts of the Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not a complete nor an exhaustive biography of the life and the times of Jesus Christ. But they give us everything that we need to know concerning who Jesus Christ is. And note that within that passage of John 21, verse 31, that it's especially the reality that Jesus is the Christ. And Christ means the Anointed One. The One who has been appointed and qualified by the Father and the Spirit to be the one only mediator. The one only person who can reconcile sinners to a holy God. Now certainly you and I must believe beyond a shadow of a doubt what we call the historicity of Jesus. Uh, That He actually was incarnate. That He actually lived and walked among this earth and among the human race in this earth. That He actually was crucified. That He was actually buried. That He actually descended into hell. But we must understand that He did all of these things not as a mere human person, although He certainly was completely possessing of a human nature, but that He did all of these things as the Messiah. As the promised Deliverer. As the One who was anointed by God the Father to bring about salvation and bring about reconciliation. So that when we think about Jesus Christ and when we talk about Jesus Christ, it's not just with the curiosity of historical observation, but it is with this recognition that here is the Savior that has been given by God in His grace and in His mercy to accomplish of redemption and of salvation for the chief of sinners, including you and I. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I ask you this morning, do you believe that? That Jesus is the Christ, the one and only Savior. you believe that with the certainty of faith? Because that is the revelation of the complete way of salvation, including uh, the necessity of faith. Not only does the Bible reveal the way of salvation, but also the life of worship. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and we've referenced this in previous sermons. We just repeat the text and then have a few comments to make on it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now the Bible does not reveal every single element of knowledge that we need to live productive lives. The Bible does not reveal to you, for example, if we can come up with a silly little illustration, the Bible does not reveal very clearly uh, what what seed to commit into the ground in the spring? It doesn't say use this line of equipment. But what the Bible does do is lays out the basic principal truths for how we are to walk with our God in the 
average everyday life that we are called upon to live. The Bible comes and it reveals all that is necessary so that the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so you might say that the Word of God alone must be our compass to guide us through the days, the weeks, the months, and the years of our earthly journey. And we just want to say that this is comprehensive in the sense that it applies to our vocational life, our recreational life, our domestic life. There's no part of life which we live that the Bible does not address. And so we are warned of the danger of a certain compartmentalization. This idea that, well, the Bible applies to our Sundays, but not to our Mondays and our Fridays. The Bible reveals how we ought to, so to speak, lie down at night and rise up in the morning. And what we ought to do in the afternoons of our days. And we want to strongly caution us with the truth that is also revealed in Proverbs 14, verse 12. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man. And that was alluded to also with the text that we read from Deuteronomy. Uh, When Moses says, Don't let it be true what is true today, that every man does what is right in his own eyes. Uh, And I would submit to you that the evidence is clear that within our vocational lives and within our recreational lives, but also when it comes to the worship of God, we are in danger, generally, broadly speaking, of falling into this radical autonomy that I'm going to do whatever I determine I'm going to do. And the Bible clearly says, don't do that. Because there is a way which seems right in a man's eyes. But Proverbs 14, verse 12 continues, but its end is the way of death. And young people, especially teenagers and young adults, the the culture comes and it bombards us with this message. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Find your own way. Find your own way. Find your own way. But when you go to Scripture, as summarized in our confessions, there is this warning. Remember that all men by nature are liars, and that includes myself. My heart is deceitful and wicked, and it lies to me. And not only my own heart, uh, but all of those around me who would offer suggestive words of advice. Do this in life or do that in life. Just know, just be warned, be on guard that all men by nature are liars and are more vain than vanity itself. Well, what then should a young man or a young woman do? Just throw up our hands in some nihilistic despair and say, nothing matters? No, to the law and to the testimony, to the Word of God. And so there is this profound reality that all humanity by nature are liars and deceivers and would seek to lead us into the way of destruction. But God has given us a full and a clear and a complete revelation for how we ought to live our lives. Also, it applies to corporate worship. We are not left to the imagination of ourselves to enter into corporate worship and say, now what do you think we should do in this sacred hour of worship? And that's also the point that is clearly being emphasized in Deuteronomy 12. As the covenant people of God, the Israelites, as they're preparing to come into the land of Canaan, the Lord is very emphatic. Don't go into the land of Canaan and begin to look around at the world and say, hmm, let's see if we can pick up some neat little tidbits of information for how we can worship. The Lord says, and we understand it's in the old economy, 
The Lord says, go in there and destroy every remnant of pagan worship. Why? Just because the Lord wanted the Israelites to be destructive people? No, because of the sanctity of worship and because of the danger of having sacred worship be influenced by surrounding cultures. So there is a warning to the church. Don't look around at the world and say, hmm, maybe we can learn from them how to worship our God. Instead, look within the Word of God. And let us be careful to observe all that He has commanded us, not taking anything away, nor adding anything to it. The Bible is a complete revelation for how we ought to live our life and how we ought to worship our God. Not only is it a complete revelation, but also in our second point, we can note that it is a true revelation. And truth, what is truth? That's what Pilate asked thousands of years ago. Well, we can say this much, truth is that which is in accordance with ultimate fact or reality. Truth is that which matches reality. And ultimately, and this must be the foundation of our understanding of truth and of reality, ultimately, God is truth. And Jesus Christ says as much in John 14, verse 6, where He says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And then He emphasizes, no one comes to the Father except through Me. By extension, since God is truth, His Word is truth. John 17, verse 17, a text that we ought really to commit to memory. Your Word, Jesus says in His high priestly prayer to His heavenly Father, Your Word is truth. Now notice the contrast. All men by nature are liars. But the Word of God is truth. And it's perfect truth. There's not a hint of anything of a lie or anything of a deceptive mistake within it. And especially in our postmodern age, when the reality of truth itself is even called into question, the church must hold this high ground. This is what we might call uh, epistemological high ground. How do we know what we know? Ultimately, truth is that which is in accordance with God Himself and with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and with the Word of God. Boys and girls and maybe young people and maybe adults, have you ever had it where you're driving or walking or perhaps just sitting outside and someone asks you, well, well which way's north? And maybe it's a, a new area and you haven't really been there before and you say, well, you know, I, I feel like that way is north. Well, at the end of the day, does it matter that you feel that way as north? Now, at the risk of having this illustration fall completely apart, that way I don't believe is north. But you say, but I feel that it's north. My point is, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you feel. I mean, if you were going to travel north, and you walked for a day in a way in which you felt was north, but was actually east, would you be any closer to your objective? And so we then pull out an objective compass, and we say, well, I feel that that way's north, but it's not. And oftentimes in life, we may feel that a way is a correct way to go. But test everything. 
according to the truth that is clearly revealed within the Word of God. Because there is truth. All human beings are liars is not just some overly pessimistic statement uh, from an ancient forefather, but rather is what is revealed in Romans 3, verse 4. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. And there's the remarkable contrast between divinity and humanity. God is true. His Word is true. The revelation that we find in the Word of God is true. Now, that does not mean every single statement of man concerning the Word of God is true. There have been many misinterpretations of text. And so, in a polemical type of way, our forefathers are especially taking aim at the Roman Catholic Church, not just to pick on the Roman Catholic Church, but because the Roman Catholic Church has this dual level of revelation and of authoritative revelation, Scripture and tradition, as we come closer to October 31 and that great event that really marked the beginning of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. This especially was what the Protestant Reformers were attacking. This idea that, yes, the Word of God is true, but equally true is the tradition of men and the tradition of church councils and the tradition of papal interpretation of the Word of God. And the Protestant Reformers looked at that and they said, no! This authority of man must always be underneath the Word of God. So that Martin Luther could stand before all of the influential leaders of his day and he could say, unless I am convinced by the Word of God alone, I will not retract any of my writings. Even though my writings go against the Pope. And even though my writings go against uh, the tradition of the Roman Catholic Church, Luther said, I will not take any of it back unless I am convinced by Scripture alone. Here I stand, he says, I can do no other. Because you see, his, his heart and his conscience and his mind were bound captive to the Word of God. And that's what we need in our own day, congregation. We need office bearers and we need members and we need elderly people and young people whose very hearts are bound captive to the Word of God, so that we'll stand in the midst of an ungodly culture that more and more is losing its moorings, and as we are confronted with all of the unbiblical teachings, that we'll say with a certain note of humility, but also of conviction, I cannot go along with that. I, I, I cannot deny what the Bible teaches uh, about the way of salvation or about the moral ethics of human sexuality. I understand what all of your experts are saying. I understand what all of the PhDs in the secular universities are teaching. I understand what all of the government agencies are presenting. But I cannot go along with it. Well, why? Are you just an obstinate traditionalist? No. My mind and my heart and my soul and my very being is entirely bound and held captive to the truth that is revealed in the Word of God. Now I would submit to you, congregation, that is what the Reformers meant when they said sola scriptura. Scripture alone. And it is what is summarized also in Isaiah 8, verse 20. To the law and to the testimony. Referring to different parts of the Old Testament Scriptures. To the law and to the testimony, to the Mosaic books, and to the prophetical oracles. 
Go to them. Go to the Word of God. And then Isaiah continues, if they, that is, anyone, if anyone speaks, and it's not in accordance to this Word, it is because there is no light in them. So it doesn't matter who it is, as Paul says. If an angel comes from heaven, or if some minister, no matter what his name, no matter what his pedigree, no matter what his accomplishments, comes and stands in our midst and says something that is not in line with the Word of God, we know who to believe. The Word of God. Not any other person. So ultimately, the test of truth is found in the Word of God. And that is because there is this perfection in our third point of an accepted revelation. The church, whether that be the young members of the church or the elderly members of the church or persons in between it, the church, the true church, the Christian church, are those who, in the words of Proverbs 23, verse 23, buy the truth and do not sell it. You notice that there is this initial buying of the truth, this possession of the truth, this obtaining of the truth, but also then the continuation in the way of truth. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Because the Scriptures are necessary. In John 6, verse 68, the disciples said to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. To whom else shall we go? Can the secular media show us the way of eternal life? Can the conservative news media show us the way to eternal life? Can governmental agencies show us the way to eternal life? Can traditionalism show us the way to eternal life? Can those who have all of the degree titles behind their names, can they show us the way to eternal life? The answer is no. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. So let us settle it within our minds and in our hearts that Scripture is necessary for the revelation of the complete way of salvation. And it's also an authoritative revelation. We accept, at least we ought to accept, we need to accept, we must accept that Scripture has the last word, you might say, because it is the Word of God. And so it has a settled and a binding and a finality to it. Where Scripture speaks, all questions of doubt ought to be removed. And, and may this congregation and may by extension our beloved federation and the true church where it may express itself or manifest itself believe with all sincerity the injunction that is found in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now remember, Jesus Christ is the truth. And the Word of God is the truth. And so every thought of our minds must be captive. To the Word of God. Because the Word of God is authoritative. Because it is the Word of God. And, and, and no objection can legitimately be brought forward against it. 
Now many will try. Many will laugh. Many will scoff. Many will fall into unbelief. Many will look here and there into the darker recesses of Scripture because, of course, not all passages of Scripture are equally clear and plain, but the main things, as we often say, borrowing a quote, uh, is not original with us, but the main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. And so no one who comes with genuine sincerity and humility of heart to the Word of God seeking to find the way of salvation will be perplexed or leave saying, I couldn't understand. Because in its authority and in its necessity, the Scripture is also sufficient. It is sufficient because it reveals the basic realities that there is one God in heaven, a righteous and a holy God, a gracious and a merciful God, a God who punishes sin but also who forgives sinners. And that, so to speak, paradox is resolved in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Bible from opening to ending is very clear concerning who Jesus Christ is, the eternal Son of God, who in the fullness of time took upon Himself our human nature like unto us in all points with the exception of sin, so that He might be the substitutionary sacrifice for sinners. That the wrath of God might be poured out upon Him and that He would say it is finished in a definitive sort of a way, indicating uh, that the punishment had been met. And the Scriptures are clear then also with the wonderful truth of an imputation of righteousness that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have all of their guilt transferred onto Him and receive all of His righteousness on themselves so that they stand in the judicial presence of God and God then looks upon the child of God for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and sees a person who has never committed a single sin and has fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And on the basis of the mediatorial work of the Lord Jesus Christ, God in His judicial execution of righteousness says concerning such a person, there is now therefore no condemnation to that individual. And they are an heir of eternal life. And that I would surmise to you is the summary of the Gospel. And then my closing question, along with my closing exhortation, is do you believe this? You must. We must. We must come to the words of Holy Scripture seeing Christ and knowing in Him is eternal life. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your Word. We simply ask that as we open Your Word as we read Your Word, as we study Your Word, and as we follow Your Word, that You would work within our hearts a sincere and a genuine faith that would not celebrate doubt and uncertainty, but rather would find great comfort in the knowledge that is revealed of the way of salvation and of the worship of the one true God of heaven and of earth. And so we now ask that the Holy Spirit would do only that which the Holy Spirit can do. Impress these eternal truths upon our hearts in a deep and in a transformative and an abiding type of a way. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.